I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under Networks. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Hello and welcome Pelicans fans to another edition of The Bird Calls. I am David Grubb and I'm joined once again by Kevin Barrios, David Fisher, and our editor-in-chief at TheBirdRights.com, Ali Cosell. It was a very eventful week for the Pelicans with the NBA draft on Thursday. No one was surprised with the selection of Zion Williamson at number one, but there was a lot of other stuff going on with the Pelicans on draft night. They moved down with a trade with the Atlanta Hawks, getting rid of Solomon Hill and his $13 million contract to pick up selections 8 and 17. And with those, they took Texas center Jackson Hayes at 8 and Nikhil Alexander-Walker out of Virginia Tech at 17. They also uh, took in the second round with the 35th pick overall, Luzada Silva, Marcos Luzada Silva, excuse me, of Brazil. Uh, he seems like a candidate to be stowed for a year or so. Well, let's start with Ali. Ali, your overall thoughts on the draft. We'll start with Zion Williamson, the no-brainer. What does his drafting and his uh, arrival in New Orleans mean for this franchise now that it's official? He's an automatic boost to importance to possible championship contender. Any adjective you want to use, Zion will fill it. Uh, because one person alone can which he is obviously, but he, he's the type of player that is honestly a game changer on both ends of the floor. We haven't seen a talent like him, you know, but maybe several players and within the last couple of decades. So you combine all that with also what I've, I've been told and been seeing with my own eyes, that this guy has it also mentally. He has it with his work ethic. He has it with his, um, you know, just being down there. So you feel like he's just going to be the ultimate perfect fit, which every franchise dreams about, you know, drafting, right? I mean, you go, obviously everybody has seen all the highlights, you know, all the amazing dunks to the blocks, but it, it's really his mental side that I, I love. I mean, this guy, when he was in high school, came up with that phrase of killer's kill. And he said it multiple times last year at Duke. Um, so he, he always wants to run through that wall and you see it through his play, right? I mean, he, he's, it, 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 look, contact doesn't bother him on the way of the rim. Uh, when there's a loose ball, he's seeming like the first one to react. And um, it's pretty much unmistakable. This guy plays with a fire, a passion, and tenacity that, you know, we don't even see with most modern NBA players. So I kind of liken it to Drew Hardy. So I just can't wait to see the both of them on a court together. And then when you well, – we, David, I know you missed it, but watching that Zion press conference live, it's amazing. You can sense that bond he has with his family, right? And, you know – you can just pretty much describe it with the way Lee uh, Anderson, his stepdad, finished that conference. You know, 
everybody went through the motions. Joel Myers did his thing. Everybody spoke. The media got to ask questions. And after the photo op was done, I, I noticed Lee was kind of talking to Joel Myers in the ear. And then he just went up to the podium, you know, unabated. Just, just it, None of this was planned. You could just tell. And, and he said his thing where I know everybody's probably heard it. That's a Pelicans fan. But he said a couple paragraphs and he wanted to genuinely thank New Orleans um, for, you know, all this outpouring of, you know, welcome type of feelings to downright, you know, adulation for his son. So it, it was just an incredible sight to see. So it just told me that this is exactly what David Griffin had been talking about in wanting to build a family. Yet he was saying all this stuff before the Pelicans won the uh, NBA draft lottery. So for it to work out to where he's going to get Zion, I mean, it just couldn't be any more perfect. So yeah, I can see why 29 other teams, especially those big cities, right, New York City, L.A., were complaining, telling them to go back to school because he is that special of a town. He's going to be a game changer, changer, a franchise changer. And I know we've talked about it amongst ourselves, but we feel like there's something more in the air surrounding his arrival than there was with Anthony Davis. And if some of you may remember, even Chris Paul. So I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Short, short, short. Yeah. Anybody yeah, else want to add anything to that? Yeah. I want to go to Kevin real quick, and then I hit Dave. Kevin, um, you were with us on draft night, and one of the things that was funny was when Griffin talked about that he had gotten plenty of calls from teams who wanted to take the number one pick. But when you looked out at the crowd on in Fulton Alley, when you looked at the reaction of um, people throughout the city, um, does it kind of feel like the moment that Zion was drafted – is the moment that the Pelicans officially became New Orleans basketball team. Because yeah. my thought, you know, I, I, before I let you go, just in my thought, going back, the history of this franchise has always been, it's always been kind of one step removed from the city. Um, what's your take on that? Yeah, it's funny that you phrased it that way, because actually in the during the Portland series, I wrote an article with that title that today is the day that New Orleans officially became the uh, I mean, the Pelicans officially became New Orleans basketball team. And I was a little bit early, I would say, based off of what we've seen so far. And, um, you know, it's uh, – I think everybody knows what you're getting with, or at least has the same sort of expectations of the player that he is. But I don't think – I think the surprise came in when we got to actually meet him and see how he interacted with the city upon first arrival and how his family embraced it. And then also – how the city embraced it as well. It was just something totally new and something very exciting. And actually um, Chris Connor and I are, are getting back in the lab uh, to, to write the third part of the new Orleans index ratings. Um, and we changed the idea because initially it was going to be about Anthony Davis trade packages, but we got tired of talking about all that. And then that all happened. So now we're going to focus on the new faces that are coming in. And what I chose for Zion Williamson is the Steve Gleason block punt as his index power rating. And I think it's very appropriate for what we've seen in the city. You know, you're talking about the states of the franchises at that time. The Saints were rumored to be leaving. They're coming off a terrible season, obviously, caused by Hurricane Katrina and bad decisions. There was talk of them selling the team. Same thing started to happen with the Pelicans. You know, everybody was crapping all over the organization saying they should sell the team, they should move, these sort of things. Then we get this kind of player comes in that re-energizes the whole city. Um, 
and sort of just changes the narrative about the franchise and is the, the face of that sort of like, you know, the Reggie Bush sign uh, drafting was because, you know, Drew Brees signing people were excited about that, but we didn't know he was going to become what he became. But Reggie Bush was that player coming out of college that had that real dynamic athleticism and, uh, you know, sort of changed the way uh, was just like a whole new thing in college football. And that's what Zion Williams was in was for basketball. And I just think that these moments are that, and it's something that's very exciting to be a part of. Fish, um, from your side, you know, obviously the expectations for Zion are sky high and David Griffin has done a tremendous job of, of con- being consistent in his comments that he's not putting uh, the weight of the franchise on Zion Williamson at 19 years old. From your observance of the way he's played, the way he played at Duke, um, and then the way his skill set going into this Pelicans offense and defense, what are reasonable projections at this point, without seeing him play in summer league or anything? What do you, what would be a reasonable projection that fans should try to keep in mind for him during his rookie year? Well, I think especially when you're talking about what he's going to do for his rookie season, I think the fans are going to get what they're expecting because I think their expectations are largely what they've seen from highlights. They haven't watched a ton of Zion Williamson tape, but they've seen Mm -hmm. him on the sports center a lot and how I think the Pelicans are going to integrate him initially is largely as working on the baseline some garbage man um, kind of buckets, running in transition, stuff like that, easy stuff. He's not going to get a lot of the offense run through him, especially here in the beginning. And I think in that respect, what it's going to do is it's going to feed into the expectation because a lot of what you're going to see is going to be Zion Williamson catching alley-oops. Zion Williamson, you know, sneaking in from the dunker spot, dunking, you know, either off of an offensive rebound or either Lonzo Ball or Drew Holiday have penetrated and then they kick it to him and he's a half step away from finishing the play. So I think actually what's going what's going to happen here with with Zion is, I mean, if you're looking for numbers, I don't think that the numbers are going to be huge, but he's going to be extraordinarily efficient because he's not going to be asked to do too much but within that I think one of the areas that we might see him stumble a little bit is Alvin Gentry said hey we want Zion to get the rebound and go himself and I think we're going to find that the 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 handle in the NBA court might not be as tight as it needs to be right now so we, it might be a little turnover heavy in those situations, but it'll convert often enough and you'll have enough Zion highlights that I think the expectations will be satisfied. But if you're expecting Zion Williamson is going to score, you know, average 20 and 10 this year, if those are your expectations, I would recommend let's dial it back a little bit. You know, what, I think that the biggest adjustment for him too uh, will probably be on the defensive end because I don't think he's competed with size like this. Um, and he hasn't seen the kind of sophisticated offenses, um, you know, at Duke that he's going to see in the, in the NBA. He's going to really – he's not going to be able to roam 
Um, he's going to have to be very disciplined. Not saying that he isn't, but you know, you can he could recover just on pure athleticism at times, uh, and and take down lesser players. There aren't those as many of those guys um, in the league. Of course, there there aren't many athletes like him, but there are a lot of crafty basketball players. And I think defensively, you know, you worry about foul trouble early on, reaching for things, trying to make plays happen. Um, hopefully. His, his demeanor is like it was on uh, during his press conference, that he is going to be patient with himself and not try to do too much. And I think the team uh, will do a good job in trying to manage that as well. Um, with Zion, we have, you know, all the superlatives, and it's, he's the easiest thing to grade and talk about with the draft. You get into a little bit uh, thornier um, level of opinion when it comes to the other selections. Kevin, we're going to start with you and Jackson Hayes. Um, I thought it was a bit of a surprise at eight. What are your feelings uh, of the Pelicans taking Hayes um, at the eight spot? And uh, what do you see? Uh, I know you're not a big college basketball guy, but just from, from the raw details, what, what do you see out of him? Yeah, I was a little surprised that he, he went that early. Um, but I don't, I don't dislike it per se. I think you look at the draft as a whole. Um, and you think about what David Griffin said that he's trying to achieve. He's trying to achieve sustained success. Um, so I feel like, you know, you get Zion, which is, you know, a star, a future star for sure. Then you get Hayes, which is clearly a project. He's an incredible athlete. Um, has hardly played any basketball, you know, organized basketball. He's, he was a football player, played one year of high school basketball, I believe, and one year of college basketball. And that's basically it. Um, now he has incredible physical physical uh, tools. Um, one thing that I'm concerned with for a guy his size is his low rebounding rate. But, you know, I still feel like he's, you know, sort of something that needs to be molded and shaped. You know, they don't know what he is. He doesn't know what he is. But he has this incredible physicality and speed and size. And that combination with Zion could be great one day. Um, now we're not talking about, uh, Alexander Walker yet, but Alexander Walker is a more polished and ready to contribute right now guy. So I feel like you got two guys that are, are ready to contribute right now. And one guy that is a project that could pay off greatly eventually, but you don't necessarily, you can't necessarily rely on now. And I don't mind that so much if they really believe that they can turn him into something. And I think that they have guys here that they believe in that can turn him into to something. And, and until he does, you know, he's a guy that could run to the rim. He's a guy that can get putbacks. He's a guy that can catch lobs. He has very soft hands. He's an incredible leaper. We've all seen that video now of him leaping off of one foot from the free throw line. Um, he's extremely fast for his size, but he has a lot to learn. Um, and I feel like he's in a place where he has the comfort to learn um, because he doesn't necessarily need to contribute right away. So I don't mind the pick. It's not the pick I would have made if I was making the choice but I don't mind it at all that they, that they did choose him. Uh, Fish. I am, I have a lot of concerns about uh, Hayes as a defensive player um, and his body weight. I mean, he's almost, he's seven feet tall and he weighs 215 pounds. He's, he, he weighs less than Drew Holiday. Um, I, I have, you know, he's, he is a project as Kevin said. What do you think, it, you know, looking at the front court rotation right now, Putting him onto that roster, can he contribute at all other than in spot uh, situations as a rookie? 
I mean, he's so he's so raw that you can take it one of two ways. You can take it that he's so raw that he can't do anything for you right now, and it's really hard to project what he's going to be able to do. Or you can say he's so raw that we can build him into the thing that we want him to be. And I think if you're looking at where he's at right now and the history of Trajan Langdon much more so than David Griffin, they're saying we can build him into the thing that we want him to be. Now, he doesn't really have much history as a jump shooter. Um, he shot well at the free throw line. And you can say, hey, you know, he was a, he was a decent free throw shooter as a seven-foot big man. And at only 19 years old, give him some time and he can stretch the floor. I can see how somebody's saying that. You can also say, man, he's real thin. Um, I was I was reading today that um, his his father evidently is a massive human being and played it looked like tight end um, in the NFL. So the the genes are there that he can put on the weight. I'm not as concerned about what his weight is right now in terms of how he projects forward. My biggest concern on is Jackson Hayes a good investment with the eight is it feels like big men aren't. There, there's a surplus of big men who are talented enough to play in the NBA that it's easy to get one. Now, maybe that's going to move a different direction after, you know, what Brooke Lopez does, did this past season. But with big men being so easily available and the Pelicans still having a lack of NBA-sized wings, I was a little concerned with we're really drafting the big man that at this point hasn't been able to demonstrate the ability to shoot jumpers and to stretch the floor around Zion when you feel like the the end state is Zion's going to have the ball in his hands a lot and you need to create space. And if you're going to play a center beside him, that needs to be somebody who can space the floor and, and shoot. And the only real thing that you can look at on Hayes and say, hey, maybe he's going to be able to do that is he did have you know, a, a pretty quality free throw shooting rate, um, free throw percentage this past year at 74% at Texas. And at only 19 years old, maybe we can build him into the thing that we want to be. And he is at his height a freak athlete. So I, I can see, I mean, can we, what was that? Who's on that? That's not mine. That ain't me. That's mine. I'm, I'm sealing it off. <laughs> All right, no problem. Work so, with this, Kevin. So, I, I mean, I, I guess the thing is, is that the one thing that you can say you can defend the Hayes thing is if you thought we already have Zion, we're going to have all these other assets. You've already traded down to get more assets. Why not at eight swing absolutely for the fences? And Hayes' physical you know, makeup and his athletic profile tells you that he might pan out. Is it the pick necessarily that I wanted them to make? No, I was hoping they were either going to get a wing or honestly trade down or trade it for, for a vet or something. And instead they went with a center, which isn't the way I would have gone with it. But um, I'm not really at the point yet where I want to dump on it because I have, I just have a lot more confidence in 
this front office than the previous front office and where they're going to go with it. And since they do have a G League team under full control, maybe he spends most of a season, you know, in Erie developing his skills before he comes over and starts to really, you know, get into the NBA crucible and on a lighter schedule in the D League, I mean, in the G League, maybe you can, you know, work more heavily in the weight room and things like that to get his weight up so that he's more ready for the, the rigors of the NBA. Ollie, the two things I worry about with Hayes, um, number one, his free throw shooting, shooting percentage was good, but he got to the line just over three times a game. So he wasn't getting to the line using physicality and, and he doesn't really have a post or a counter move. He took three jump shots the entire season. And those three jump shots were in the lane. So he didn't take a single shot, jump shot outside of the paint. Third thing, he fouls at a really high rate. His per 40 minutes is basically six fouls per game. And lastly, not a single double-double his entire year. Um, so those are concerns. When I know you're not, I think none of us, are, we're all in agreement that none of us would have made that pick at eight. But um, do you what what is your feeling on the pick and and uh, and just on Hayes in general? Do you see him as going down to the G League and developing? Do you see him sitting on the bench much like Czech Diallo did his, his his rookie year? What's what's the future? The immediate future look like for Jackson Hayes? Yeah, everything that you said. But there's one other thing I just want to acknowledge that we should echo as well. Uh, that's kind of a negative is the black. You know, there's no playmaking. He didn't show any of that either in Texas. But quickly, let's turn this around. And I think the reason why we feel this way is because everybody is just looking at the ceiling, which is undoubtedly high. And I'm about to, you know, mention some positives here in a second. But it's it's the fact that nobody's really talking about his floor, which I think is really low. I mean, I, I honestly can't think of anybody's floors lower than his, at least in the top 10 picks, maybe even the 15. I haven't gone that far out yet to look, but... That's the problem, right? He, he could wind up out of the league at the end of this rookie contract, or, you know, he could blossom in a, something I think a lot better than Clint Capella. And I think that's honestly why the Pelicans chose him. I think they do see that his projection is not only um, salivating, it's the fact that he may actually reach, you know, his full potential in certain areas. Um, all you have to do is go back to high school, right? This kid used to love playing all sorts of different sports. When he, I think he entered high school, he's right around six feet, and everybody thought he was only going to grow up to be about six, four, or five. I had read some article, which is the height of his dad, right? But of course, he, he didn't stop there. He hit six, seven. Uh, I think at the start of his senior year, I can't remember if it was junior or senior year, but anyways, he's now six, eleven, right? But he didn't really start playing basketball, focusing on it until his senior year in high school. Um, he didn't start a game until his senior year in high school. So theoretically, he's only been playing basketball like the way you want a pro athlete to for two years, where he's dedicated himself to the sport. So if you look at what he's accomplished in that time, then I think you should get a little bit more excited. Um, for instance, with Texas, I mean, I've read how Shaka Smart, you know, he's talked so highly of him. So you don't want to read too much into it because his coach obviously is going right. to say a lot of beneficial things. But when you pick through it and then you look at some video, you see what he got excited about. In two short years, this kid understands uh, positioning, awareness. For instance, with Czech Diallo, it always bothered me I didn't see him make those mental leaps on 
let's just say something as simply as positioning himself for an offensive rebound as to where, you know what, uh, Jackson did. Um, he's also done a lot of other things defensively where he's learned how to stay in front of other players, a lot quicker, smaller players. Now, I know he's foul prone, and I know, Dave, you've talked about, and I don't like that he uh, um, doesn't know how to initiate contact when he's you know going through the rim. He always tries to go around it. West where defensively, he gets in too much in front of a player, um, doesn't give the necessary space. But I feel like he can learn all that because we've seen that awareness, the learning ability in other areas. So I think that's what the Pelicans see. Um, and if so, you know, I think this league, you need more than Clint Capella. You really want somebody more than him. So Fish has already mentioned the, the free throw percentage. So you're hoping that I know he only took three jumpers, right? What would you say in the lane or something like that? But they were I think all the, the hope lane, is yeah. right. So, but I think there is hope that he can at least develop a mid range shot. Cause when you look at that free throw form, it's fine. I don't see an issue. And again, you go back to him playing basketball, for two years, growing into this body in the last two years. But then you look at how well he handles that 6'11 frame. That's impressive to me. His footwork is incredible. Watch him trying to maneuver. I know you don't want him maneuvering through athletes, kind of like we always used to complain about Anthony Davis, right? Always avoiding the contact, trying to slither around. But you know what? That footwork is also beneficial in, A, avoiding injury, Um finding all the holes, unlike, say, a Julius Randle or DeMarcus Cousins. I mean, you want to avoid the offensive foul. So there's there's pros and cons here. And um, what else am I missing here? There's one other point I want to make. Oh, besides the feet. Yeah, I don't know if somebody else has mentioned, but his hands. Oh, that's right, Kevin. I think you talked about his hands. So when you combine the mental aptitude, those really soft hands, and then, of course, that footwork, um, I, I think you see why the Pelicans went after him. He's got that leaping ability now. He can defend a rim now. He can finish with the best of them now. But I think there's legitimate hope that he can grow into something more. So I can see why the talent evaluators all like him. I think that's why he shot up, you know, through the course of this season to where he became that top 10 pick. Um, And you've got to think, if Griffin went after him, you got to think he's got a good sense in in not only that this kid can develop, but what type of human being he is, which means, of course, in – He's going to work hard at his game. And that's what it all really takes. All these athletes that come into the league, even ones that don't get drafted, I think all of them have a potential to succeed in this league, but it's the ones that work hard and also do all the right things, right? There's one, obviously you can go shoot, you know, for two hours every day, but is that really improving your game? No, I think Hayes is going to be able to take that guidance, which Shaka Smart said he was incredible in how he could pick things up. So you like that. So if he's open to coaching and he's got that talent, you can understand and be excited. So like Fish, I'm, I'm reserving all judgment here. And I think we all deserve to do that, even though we it wasn't necessarily our first pick and we want to see Zion Williamson end up ultimately with a guy that can, you know, spread the floor like a Brooke Lopez. I think in the meantime, this is a safe, you know, kind of a smart pick. You kind of see where they're going. And if they can develop him, then, hey, even if he doesn't work out, he, he will always at least be, you know, I don't want to mention Trey Bate to a guy that hasn't played a game yet, but, you know, if he, he develops that value, just like really any of the young players, the Pelicans have grabbed either through trade or drafted a couple of days ago, that we're, they're building, right? They're building assets. So let's see what happens with these assets. Can they develop? Can they fit around Zion? So it's too early to say yes or no, basically. As we close the book on Jackson Hayes, the one thing is I would love for him to, to call Jaleel Okafor and just work on footwork <laughs> as often as possible. 
um, getting, being big when he receives a pass in the post. Those are things that, you know, I think any young big man, if you can get those two things down, you have to have one move and a counter. You need to open up big. And can you set a screen? If he can do those things as a rookie, um, he won't get a ton of playing time. I don't think, like you said, he's a project, but I think he could, he could contribute while he's on the floor and that level of athleticism and activity um, certainly will help uh, for a team that wants to run third pick uh, of the group at 17. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, um, a lot of us were high on him. Um, some very uh, good reviews of his play and his makeup before the draft. Again, another high-character player. Uh, Fish, we're going to lead off with you this time. What do you like about his game? And uh, in, in a backcourt that now has a ton of guys who are in that 6'3 to 6'6 range, where does he fit in? And um, also, who who may be in trouble uh, looking for playing time? Well, Alexander Walker, the big thing for me is the fact that he's a big combo guard. Um, at the combine, he measured 6'5 with a 6'9 wingspan and uh, standing reach 8'6. Um, to give that 8'6 standing reach kind of some context, um, his standing reach is a, is is the exact same that Brandon Clark's was from coming out of from Gonzaga, and they list him as a small forward. But Clark largely played power forward at Gonzaga last year and only finished around the rim. So I feel like he, the tools are there for Alexander Walker to be a plus defender. And then when you look at what he did um, at at Virginia Tech as a sophomore, he took a lot of their playmaking um, under his own uh, under his own wing. There, um, he did well creating for others. He did well getting to the rim and getting to the rim on his own. Um, one site that I always like to check out is called Hoop Dash Math. Hoop Math. Hoop Dash Math. Um, Nikhil Alexander Walker shot 61% at the rim which doesn't sound terribly great, but he shot 61% at the rim and only 18% of his attempts were assisted. So not only is he getting to the rim, he's getting to the rim on his own and creating his own shots. Now, is he going to be that successful when he gets to the NBA? No, because I mean, NBA bigs are bigger. Everyone's more athletic, et cetera, but he's already shown you know, at the level he's competed, that he can get to the rim on his own and score on his own. He's already been a plus defender, and I can't – the Virginia Tech's coach is, is slipping my mind. Buzz he Williams. Used Mar- um, he used to be a Marquette. Yeah, um, Buzz Williams. And a lot, of his, a lot of his wings, Jay Crowder, Dwayne, um, Dwayne Wade, Jimmy, Jimmy Butler, came into the league, success, uh, excelled very well, and especially when you're talking about Crowder and Jimmy Butler, hard-nosed defenders. And, uh, I mean, just another thing from the combine, I mean, Alexander Walker weighed in at almost 204 right now, and he's still only like 21 years old. So he's still got some time to fill out that frame, but there's there's already some strength, some strength on that where he can play two and three. I mean, he's every bit as big, if not bigger than each one more already. And his size, actually, if you put his, his measurements up against say drew holiday, 
very similar in terms of in terms of you know wingspan reach etc so i mean that was the guy that i was looking at can we get somebody who plays both ends of the court can we get someone who's already shown some ability to create for others um Nikhil alexander walker uh averaged a little bit over four near five assists a game last year as well as he shot you know almost 39 percent no 37 percent um from behind the arc and 78 percent at the free throw line so the mechanics are there for a shot and you just put all that together at 17 i feel like of the three non-zion picks that the pelicans made the guy who's the most put in a position where you can see him on this on this team beyond his rookie contract i would say Nikhil alexander walker is that guy yeah, Kevin, I think he moves um, right up to the – in the guard rotation, you'd have to put – you know, obviously Drew and Lonzo are your starters, but between Etwan, Frank Jackson, Josh Hart, and um, what, who else are we looking at back there? I mean, really, I think he has a, a chance to compete with any of those three guys for playing time. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, David and I both – tweeted out during the draft, you know, almost simultaneously that we were hoping he would fall to us because I think we think about him the same way. He's a guy that has that size that can that can play for you at the two or the three and also could be a, a facilitator, say, if, you know, Lonzo gets hurt and you don't really want Drew on the ball to start the thing. He would be comfortable bringing the ball up and getting that going. So I think with his skill set is – defensive abilities and his, you know, he's shown he could shoot the ball as well from three, but, you know, he's definitely a guy that's going to be in the rotation. And I, I think, you know, Etuan Moore is probably the guy on the outside looking in because he's on an expiring contract. And because he is a good spot up shooter, another team might want him. You could pro- possibly flip him for, you know, some help at big man or, you know, a, a backup, uh, more true point guard, something like that, that fills other holes that you need. Um, I think also, you know, Josh Hart had an off year last year shooting the ball, but I think he'll, he'll return to be able to shoot well. I mean, he was asked to play at the four sometimes in L.A. Um, he was playing injured. So I think with those two guys being your basic rotation behind um, Drew and uh, Ingram, where they're both taking turns at the two and the three, I think the Pelicans are in very good shape. Um, I think they also are – you know, ahead of Frank Jackson. Uh, I don't know if you guys would agree with that. Frank has great athleticism, but he hasn't really put it together in terms of ball handling, uh, playmaking, and he hasn't shown a consistent jumper. And he definitely isn't the defender that these two guys were in college and as hard as shown he can be in the NBA already. So I think these guys definitely leapfrog to the front of the rotation. And I think uh, – um, Alexander, uh, I mean, sorry, Walker Alexander is uh, definitely primed to be a guy that's a long-term piece of this team. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404.
Holly, you know, Kevin hits, hits on a good point. How much more expendable is Etwan Moore after the acquisition of Nikhil Alexander-Walker? Yeah, I mean, I think he could definitely be flipped in whatever um, – if David Griffin is looking to make a trade still for a young star anytime between now and the trade deadline. I mean, Solomon Hill's contract is gone. Etwan Moore's got a year left. But I don't think that – Look, fan, fans want to move on from this this last couple of years like no other. And unfortunately, I feel like they also want to throw a half a gentry stone to the bus, and they want to have each one tray, which I don't think you look to just necessarily do, just like you did with Solomon Hill, right, who wasn't going to contribute. I mean, last year, each one more was by far and away the uh, Pelicans' best catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. Um, he was having a heck of a season until – Injuries pretty much ruined his year. I mean, those first two and a half months, he was right up there averaging, you know, what was it, like 16 points a game or something to that effect, scoring really efficiently, both, you know, behind the arc and at the rim. So I think that you kind of keep a guy like that around because, hey, if you're not going to get the trade value back in return for him, he's another veteran. I think Drew Holiday, first of all, he loves him dead, but you keep him around for that presence, right? Um, he's, he's on a good contract. And if the Pelicans want to be competitive, I mean, more is that he gives you that ability. And here's the bigger thing I'm looking at too, is, um, in, in a couple of years or yeah, after this next season, you know, Hart and more are both going to be up for contracts. Um, and you know, certainly one of them is going to be gone, maybe even both. So I can understand why the Pelicans drafted Nikhil, um, also because of that reason, I know that we, you guys are both ahead of me, Kevin and fish, you guys talked about what he brings to the table. And I think one thing, I don't know if either you mentioned, but his IQ, it deserves a lot of aplomb. I mean, this guy seems to always make the right decisions. I've only looked at a couple game footages so far, but man, I can see why Jay Billis compared him to Lou Williams. You know, he, this, this kid knows when to drive, when to pull up, um, how to use his body to get to the foul line. He made so many improvements, improvements between his freshman and sophomore years. You like that trend, right? So it's understandable why it took him, but unlike you, Kevin, I'm not certain that he is going to leapfrog people ahead in the rotation. I think unless he shows, you know, unless he proves himself worthy, I think Nikhil still has to um, adjust to the NBA. I don't think it's that easy for a guy his size. I mean, Frank Jackson can leap out of the gym and look how long it took for him before he was comfortable taking it to the rim. It wasn't until that last month last year. So I think there's going to be some growing pains I think we need to allow for for this kid. And, of course, you, you've got to understand Alvin Gentry, Darren Ehrman. You've got to understand and, and um, use their concepts, their strategies. You've got to, you know, first of all, learn them in practices and such, but then be able to prove that you can, you know, execute that on the floor. So we don't know how long it'll take him to pick that up. Because remember, Jaleel Okafor, you know, right, we were wondering where he was last year. Well, Gentry told us that he's still learning. It wasn't that he was out of shape or anything like that. It was just that he wasn't ready to be put out there. So I could see some similar situation, you know, maybe with Walker Alexander. So I love him. We've all agreed on that. Great pick at 17. But I think he's more for the future. I think for when Hart and Moore both move on, that I think that's the plan regarding him. But he does. He, he definitely looks like he's going to be a key component of uh, this core. And I agree with Fish. Out of all these picks, he, he just feels like he's the one that's most most likely to stick next to Zion for the next, you know, six, seven years. Yeah, you, you mentioned his progress from year one to year two, and he incredible. significantly raised his numbers pretty much across the board. 
He's a guy who had 12 20-point games last season. Um, he even had double-figure rebounding games. So, mm-hmm. you know, that physicality at that position is something that has been lacking for the Pelicans. So his ability, if you could get a more physical Lou Williams, if that's what you get out of um, Alexander Williams, that's, that's a great get in this draft. Yeah, he uh, seems like he can already play, right? That's, that's what I love about him. We've got and used to always wanting athletes, right? Well, he's just the opposite. I feel like Kevin mentioned that word polish, and I completely agree. He knows how to use his limitations to his advantage, just like Lou Williams. So I love that comp, and I love what, what you know, having a player like that on this roster. So, yeah. Sorry, David. Go ahead. I just wanted to no, inter- interject. No, I mean, just having if, – if, like I said, if that's the profile, and, I, you know, if that's what you get out of a kid in a draft that, we, that was generally considered one of the weakest in years, and you pull that at 17, if you can get a Lou Williams type, and that means you're getting a guy who can score until the day he dies – um, and then contribute in other ways, also be a good quiet leader. Um, and, and again, you know, from, from our con- the conversation I had with um, Randolph Childress, he had nothing but high praise to give this kid. Um, so I think, yeah, again, not only his athletic feel, his basketball feel, but again, his personality. People have talked about him as a, as a high character, high intelligence player. So David Griffin, again, um, hit along that profile. Uh, the last guy of that group, out of Brazil, I don't think any of us have great knowledge of. I'm not going to overspeak on this one. Um, Marcos um, Luzada Silva. Um, our friends in, in Brazil speak highly of him. But again, uh, we have not had a Brazilian import coming to the NBA and really succeed at the guard position. So it'll be interesting to see about his transition. I think we all kind of agree that either he ends up in the G League this season for most of the time. Mm-hmm. Or he's a guy who stays in Brazil another year. Hey, what about Barbosa, man? He came from Brazil. That's I said it's been a while. Oh, I thought you said never. I'm sorry. No, no, I didn't say never. It's like it's it's so we're talking and Barbosa. What he was drafted late nineties. Yeah, late nineties, yeah. early two thousands. Yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, that's a while since we've had a Brazilian guard, you know, who really made an impact. So yeah, I mean, one interesting. Rob, I wanna. Yeah, Rob, I want to jump in on that one because we're talking about how, like, we don't have a whole lot, you know, on Brazil players. One of the things I was reading about this guy was um, that before the draft, the expectation was if a team was going to take a pick on him, it was going to be Brooklyn. And mm-hmm. the reason that Brooklyn would be using the pick on him is because one of their international scouts is Tiago Splitter, he used to play for the Spurs, also from Brazil. And I thought it was funny that he, the Pelicans are the team that ends up drafting him, obviously because we got Trajan Langdon out of the Brooklyn front office. And obviously he has more in-depth knowledge on, on Silva specifically because of the position that he was in with Brooklyn previously where they had you know, a Brazilian native being a scout for this guy. I wouldn't be surprised if he's either stashed in Brazil another year or if um, New Orleans kind of tries to convince him to take a bigger contract in a bigger role, not in a bigger role, in a more competitive league than the Brazilian Pro League, coming over to Europe maybe to play either, you know, in the Spanish League or something like that where he can be in the Euro Cup for a year or two to continue to develop. Um, And I'm not going to talk a whole lot on his game, but I just thought it was really interesting that that was one of the 
you know, little tidbits of information that Trajan Langdon brought along with him to New Orleans because of, you know, his previous position in Brooklyn. I'd also say I've heard people compare him to uh, Josh Hart as well. So, like, if you're going to, you know, transition out of Josh Hart at some point, but you like what he brings and you have this other guy to come in and possibly the Pelicans could treat him like the Spurs treated Jerron Blossom game where they never actually signed him to a contract but then sent them to their G League affiliate to develop for a couple of years. They ended up not ever signing him, and he ended up going to Cleveland. But, you know, it's something that they could possibly do where he's getting paid to play for the G League team, but the Pelicans still own his rights. Yeah, Again, one thing said, I want to mention about – and by the way, guys, his nickname is Didi. Um, I don't know if you've caught all that by reading articles about him, but I like the comparison to Barbosa, actually, because if there's one thing that I've – learned from watching a few of his videos is the fact that this guy isn't a legit combo guard. He doesn't have that playmaking skill at all yet in that body. He hasn't either developed or he just doesn't have it, right? I know he just turned 20 and all that, so there's time to learn it. But he's proven to be an efficient scorer, which is important, right, regardless of whatever league you're playing in. And, of course, showing off that you can hit the deep ball. And he's got enough size, you know, at the two. So, while it served him well, I, I remember reading somebody wrote once or something about him being having a nice post up game, right? Well, six foot five here in, in the NBA, let alone, you know, the post up game is dead for the most part. That's not going to serve him well. So he's got a lot of growing to do, basically. So Fish is right. I would love to see the Pelicans put him in a more competitive league. I wouldn't mind him, you know, kind of headlining next year's G League team, right? We're finally going to have a G League team. So Let's make it all about a few players to where we're really going to try and develop them, build that team around them, and uh, watch them grow. So I think Silver would be great for that option as well, if not Europe. Yeah, he's a little light. I mean, at 188 uh, and 6'5". He doesn't have uh, – and again, we're not trying to, to break him down. We're just saying this is a developmental – that's what you take in the second round, mostly guys you think you're going to develop. So again, he's not – he doesn't have a super long wingspan. It's about six foot seven on his wingspan. So, um, you know, obviously he's going to have to learn to, to play with NBA level intensity on defense. He's going to have to get bigger. Um, he's really a catch more of a catch and shoot guy. Like I said, not really a playmaker. Um, shot about 43% from three point range on the international line. So you'd have to, you know, he's going to have to adjust for that as well. Um, yeah, I think there's just a lot to go on for him. Yeah. Um, to, 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 I, I just don't see a way where, unless there are a lot of injuries in the backcourt that he makes an appearance for the Pelicans um, during the regular season. One thing we also got to mention, too, is that almost every draft, I don't know about you guys, but every uh, mock draft I looked at, he wasn't even in the top 60. So for right. him to go 35th, that screams to me that Langdon must really like this guy. He must really see something in him. And Fish already alluded to, you know, the Nets being interested in him because of Tiago's splitter. So there might be something there. And uh, – if every mock draft of it is basically lifting him outside of 16, we jumped up and took him at 35. Because remember, we could have taken him, you know, 39th, kept that instead of selling it to the Golden State Warriors. But they thought highly enough of him and not anybody else at 35 to take him. So that says a lot to me. So don't write him off completely. And just for those who don't know, he had, uh, in the NBB, which is the highest league in Brazil, he averaged 10 and a half points. Uh, 2.9 boards and one assist over 48 games. So again, not really a playmaker, but 
supposedly a very good catch and shoot player and a very good three point shooter. Those will be the skills yeah. that they'll be working on to develop for this guy. All right, uh, guys, since we've covered the draft, um, I think we'll just briefly touch on what's next. Um, if, if you were David Griffin now sitting where you are um, less than a week after the draft, um, are you focusing now on continuing to – he said that he had ongoing conversations with other teams. So are you focusing on maybe making some more moves before free agency, making more trades um, with some of these young players or some of these picks that you've acquired? Or now are you already deep, deep, deep into deciding which vets you're going to add to this roster and start moving forward for the uh, for the regular season? Uh, Ali, we'll start with you. I think it's definitely focused on free agency. I mean, we even got that hint, right? Um, I forget who said it, whether it was Woj or whoever it was. Um, but it sounds like the Pelicans are committed to these young guys. They didn't draft them to flip them in a quick turnaround trade. So it sounds like they wanted all these guys. They see enough of them. And, of course, you know, Zion Williamson, you've got to think, his age, he was really uh, hoping, I had heard, that he wanted uh, to see the Pelicans grab Cam Reddish at eight. And then, obviously, that didn't happen. But after the draft, somebody asked him about, you know, what do you think of the Pelicans draft? And he mentioned that he really likes that he's going to be surrounded by a lot of guys his age. So I think the Pelicans also have that kind of under consideration. So you're not going to suddenly be flipping a lot of these guys for any kind of veterans. Um, And we already know that Griff is not going to do any kind of win now. He just wants the team to be competitive. So I think any kind of veterans brought in, unless it is a star like a Bradley Beal or somebody like that, they're going to be brought in to help these young guys grow. Um, You know, basically they know that the development for these guys is going to be the key, the priority. So that's what I think um, is what's left really for uh, David Griffin, that front office to do. Keep working, see if you can get that star. They still have so many other assets to use, right? But if, if it's not available, then just fill out that roster with some, you know, shooting. And But most importantly, they've got to chase a big man. We've all talked about this to death, so maybe we'll we should get just into go that. into that. Yeah, we'll get into that in the questions. Okay. There's just two quick things I want to address before we get into that. Number one for Kevin. The average age of this team right now outside of Drew and Etwan is 20. Well, the average, the average age for the team as a whole is 21 years old. And only Drew and Etwan are above the age of 24 on this roster. Are you at all concerned about the overall youth of this team right now? Um, I'm not necessarily concerned with that because, you know, you have Drew. And if Etwan's here, he's also a, a nice vet. But then you also have like some guys who have been, they're young, but they've been through things already like Alonzo. And, you know, I think that some age will be added definitely in free agency or via trade. Um, so I'm not necessarily concerned. I mean, it's not like you just have a bunch of kids. I mean, you have Drew Holiday, who's very much a guy who is very into the idea of mentoring kids. And we've heard David Griffin talk about that um, after the draft. Um, talking about how excited he is to be working with these guys and, uh, you know, be given the torch right now and then eventually pass it on to Zion. So I'm not overly concerned with it because I, I mean, I know for a fact with, without actually knowing for a fact, but you know, that they will be adding at least one more veteran to this team, uh, for a, a locker room presence, a stabilizing force. And you would have to think it's going to be a front court guy because, you know, you have a lot of youth in the front court and you don't have that front court veteran yet in there to, to help. 
uh, whereas you have a Drew Holiday in the backcourt to, to work with those guys. So that's where you definitely think they've got to be targeting, uh, especially with the drafting of Jackson Hayes, because you need somebody to help groom him as well. All right, let's move on to the questions. We're going to rapid fire these. Um, only one answer for each one, and it'll be one guy answering. So you'll get your question, no jumping in, all right, unless you absolutely have to. Uh, first one for Fish. Uh, this one comes from a Bosarge, B-O-S-A-R-G-E. And the question is, how important do you think it is for the Pelicans to make the playoffs within the first couple of years of Zion's contract when it comes to future contract talks? I don't think I don't think the playoffs this year or next year are terribly important at all. Um, I don't think I, if there's one thing that we've learned from the Anthony Davis situation, it's that the playoffs, you know, recent playoffs didn't really matter a whole lot at all. I mean, the Pelicans made the second round of the playoffs, and then they had, you know, some eh, injury issues, et cetera, fit issues lost some free agents, et cetera. And within, what, six, seven months, he was requesting a trade. How? So, I mean, players are going to want to stay if they feel like they're going to win in the future on the next contract. Not, They're not going to stay because they won, you know, 12 months ago. So the next couple of years – um, they, I mean, especially this year, they shouldn't be, Hey, we have to make the playoffs this year, but even, you know, next year, that shouldn't be the goal. I think organically by his third year, the Pelicans will be contending, but that's just a matter of the assets they're going to be bringing in the development of Zion and hopefully, you know, one or two of the other guys that they've brought in. Um, I know we are all very high on Lonzo. And, and and build it from there. Don't try to slam on the accelerator at any point and feel that you're desperate. That is precisely why Anthony Davis is leaving. Second question we already addressed, but I do want to give him a shout-out. At ProPlum80, who asked about Jackson Hayes' ceiling, we covered that, and I hope we covered that well enough for you. Uh, Kevin, this one is for you. It's from uh, at 789, and the question is, we have, what are we going to do with all these second round picks? We surely won't use them all. So how can we capitalize on them? Yeah. I mean, you're definitely not using all the second round picks we have. We got, we got what four from Miritich and others thrown in from other trades and have all our own. So you got to think they're going to be add-ons and um, other trades or, you know, sold off or used for draft the stash guys to see if they develop. So at some point they will be used in a way that, they deem necessary whether you attach them to a bigger contract or you use them to acquire a player with a higher con that's more of a salary dump but also to give something back to that team because the player that you're getting is is a quality player um i think you'll see them used that way ali this one comes from our uh, good friend uh tahada three-parter right about- no it's only one part question oh hooray <laughs> So, and um, it's regarding Alonzo Ball. Do you think that because he will likely be told to facilitate more than anything, that it will help or hurt his shot development? I don't see how his facilitating at all is going to influence his shot. I mean, honestly, the best way you become a better shooter is by 
really hoisting it up there, right? So that's just not his game. I don't think Lonzo's going to come out and try and all of a sudden, you know, launch the ball 13, 15 times a game. I mean, that's not who he's ever been in his career before. So I don't think we should even expect that. Uh, but as far as his shot improvement, no. Where that's going to improve is honestly just, you know, working on it with coaches. And then, of course, the mental side, right? I, I'm almost positive he, more than any other Laker, was derailed by that whole dysfunction last year. And, of course, you got to remember, he played through at least half of that year when he was on the court through injuries. So there are so many things that I feel like contributed to him, you know, losing confidence even from the free throw line. I mean, he was shooting on, you know, like Andre Drummond, except Andre Drummond was better than him last year. So you can't expect that to go forward. But as far as facilitating, I don't see at all. And I mean, if you guys want to jump and correct me, but I don't see how that will help him at all. He lives to make the pass for another player. So think Rondo here, guys. Defend. But the, the other thing that Rondo doesn't do well, definitely anymore, is defend. And that's something Lonzo eats up as well. Just watch him fly around on the court the way he, you know, come from the weak side to knock the ball away or how he'll put his body out in front of an offensive player. This guy lives to play defense a lot too. So that and the facilitating, that's what's going to drive him not shooting, and definitely that wouldn't help his shot improve either. All right, uh, back to Fish. Uh, from Crescent City Connect, our first uh, free agent question. Uh, how likely is it that the Pelicans pick up Al Horford? Also, I've been hearing the Pels are interested in Mark Gasol if he opts out. And finally, the third part, and is Harrison Barnes in play? I don't think Harrison Barnes is in play. Let's that was an easy there. one. Yeah, no that way. Was easy. Harrison, Barnes, Harrison Barnes is looking for a max contract. Um, Sacramento's probably going to give it to him. That's probably why he opted out is because it was kind of a package deal. Um, so Harrison Barnes is a no. Um, now on Al Horford or Mark Gasol, um, Mark Gasol still has a player option um, to exercise or not. Um, as far as I can tell, he has not yet made that decision. My last update and read through Twitter. If he does decide to opt out, I would guess that he's opting out with the expectation that he might be able to get more years at a lower number from Toronto, which um, would make sense for Toronto's side. And I, if he does opt out, I would think he's not opting out to try to get his last big contract for us someplace because he's already been paid very well throughout his career. Now, as far as Al Horford, our expectation was he was opting out to get a long-term offer as well from Boston. And then he walked away from the table because some teams dropping, you know, the bag on his table, supposedly like a four-year $112 million deal or something like that. I don't know if, I don't know if, I don't know if that's something that David Griffin would compete with. I don't think he's looking to put a four-year offer on the table for Al Horford. Maybe a three-year offer or a two-year offer at a big starting number. And I discussed this last night on Twitter that I would go after Al Horford because I think he would be a superb presence in the locker room. I think we have – the Pelicans have sorely missed having a center on the back line who can kind of com communicate and function as the quarterback of the defense. That's been one of the weakest points of the Pelicans the entire time Anthony Davis has been here. The defense has been subpar 
every season except for the two playoff seasons. And even those seasons, the defense wasn't superb. It was actually the offense that was carrying carrying the load. And Al Horford would be a superb um, defensive quarterback in that regard. He also has um, expanded his range beyond the arc. I would be willing to go as high as like a three-year, $85 million contract, but have it descending so you start at the big number and bring it down so he'll be somewhere around like 27, 28 in his third year. And then that third year, if you are at the point where you're ready to maybe cash in a pick or two to try to trade for another star, you need the salary ballast on the back of it. And Al Horford's contract would be perfect to do that if you're trying to swing big for a star in 2021. So that's that's where I would go with that. How likely is Al Horford going to be here? I don't. I have no idea. I mean, he's he's leaving Boston, who was still a good team, if not a disaster, because he doesn't want either. He he wants to get paid his last big contract. Or he wants to compete for rings is the most are the two most likely scenarios, and I don't know if the Pelicans compete as well as some other teams because we have to remember there is an excessive amount of cap space and there are not players out there who are deserving of it, and some team might look at Al Horford and say, you know what, what are we else? What else are we going to do with this cap space? What if, and I mean, the Sacramento Kings have a million big men, but what if they looked at Al Horford and said, we have 60, I think they have $68 million of cap space. I can't well, remember, but they have a, a ton of it. Maybe they would just drop it on him. Well, Fish, so, I mean, it, to interject, because I don't want us to go too long, but for a guy like Horford, you look at a team like Portland that is that could really use a big, and is it mm-hmm. made it to the conference finals. Uh, you look at teams like, uh, Philadelphia, who may be shedding Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris and could use a defensive-minded big to play alongside, uh, you know, um, that, that front court that they have because defense was a little bit of a struggle for them on the interior when and Joel Embiid is not a guy who's made it through a whole season yet. So, I mean, there will be options of teams that could put him in a position to win. And like you said, his body has been through a lot. This is a guy who's on the wrong side of 30. He's been to the conference finals a couple of times and that winning clock, I think, you know, this is usually the stage for a guy's career. It would be hard no matter how much money the, the cap space is for the Pelicans. And I think that's one thing we need to, that Pelicans fans need to keep in mind is that these high, high name guys that they think those top tier free agent guys, it's going to be a lot harder to bring them to new Orleans because like you said, the first year or two, the playoffs are not necessarily the mission. And for those older guys, especially the top tier guys, Unless you're paying them more money than they can stand, it's hard to get them into this situation, don't you think? Oh, I agree completely. That's that's a good wrap up of, of what I was going to say. All right. Uh, in a um, all right. Let's see. The next one is from LC Stuff, and this is one of our favorite topics. But we can do it very quickly, and I'll give this to Kevin because no one loves to talk about this topic. I think more than Kevin does. What's the situation with the trainers and physicians? With the Pelicans now, I remember hearing before that they used the same trainers they had for the NFL team, seeing as how many injuries Lonzo Hart and Ingram had in L.A. due to poor trainers. Just want to know if they'll be looked after. Well, I would guess that this person isn't somebody who has been following the Pelicans very closely this offseason, probably somebody who just uh, 
got excited about the team, maybe where they're a Zion fan or possibly a, a Lakers fan that followed some of these guys over here because I, one of the big things about the offseason is the restructuring of, of pretty much every department, including the training staff, where we hired Aaron Nelson from the Phoenix Suns, who brings over a staff that is regarded as uh, the best, if, one of the best, if not the best in the, in the league. So um, you have a whole new structure in there. You know, that whole idea of them sharing trainers with the football staff was never really 100% accurate to begin with, but now it's totally gone. You know, this team has separated itself completely from the Saints and has, uh, you know, a whole new perspective. And they have, you know, Drew Holiday's personal trainer, Mike G on staff. Although I was scared to see John Iship in workout videos, I'm going to always say that. I don't know how much power he has or how much, if he's really part of the team going forward or if it's just something that he's involved with Mike G working out with these guys in the summer, uh, though he was wearing Pelicans gear. So we'll see. Um, but Aaron Nelson is the guy that's going to be making all the decisions. Um, and I think you should have a lot of faith in that. Uh, Corbore. We're just going to throw you out because you, you asked your question, man, and I'm going to answer really quickly. And since it's 11 o'clock at night while we're recording this and you say, what should I eat for dinner? I hope you're not eating this late, dude. It's not going to settle well for you. <laughs> and you're going to have bad dreams is what my mother told me when you eat this late. So um, I can't tell you what to eat for dinner. I would say probably have a healthier snack, like maybe an apple or a banana, and then uh, <laughs> get some rest. Well, let's, uh, throw, let's just throw out a late night spot for somebody. How about okay. junk? You know, junk, Junction's open until about 2 a.m. They got great burgers there. They got incredible fries. <laughs> One of my favorite fries in the city. They got chicken wings. And they have 40 beers on, on tap. So there's a spot for you for late night eating. There you go. All right, Ollie. Um, with the Zion chapter starting, this comes from Charles Pierre Jr. Uh, what happened to Trayvon Blewett? Is he going to be back this season? No. Um, that, that's a short story, but in what, following his account, something happened last month, I think, to where we kind of know that he was, he was told he wasn't going to be back with the New Orleans Pelicans. You know, he had a tweet back on May 16th. I, I just now found it. Always had to get it on my own, dot, 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 dot. Well, th- I don't think the hope was ever high just because, you know, his season got derailed. He never got to show himself. And usually with two-way contracts, right, what we're learning is if, if you don't show – and you make it with a big squad, you don't get promoted quickly, then teams are just going to move on. So I'm almost positive the New Orleans Pelicans have already moved on from him. I mean, there hasn't been a single tweet from him, you know, working out or teammates, you know, him hanging with any of our teammates and such. So between the tweet that he posted and everything that's transpired since, it, it, it sure looks like he's not going to be with the Pelicans anymore. All right, that's the bulk of our questions. We had some repeats to close out. I'm going to give you guys just – I'm going to give you one position and I'm going to give you one name that you should that you would like the team to target in free agency, okay? And it has to be realistic. When Nobody's going to say Kevin Durant. Nobody's going to say you know, Kawhi Leonard. We have to be realistic here, guys, all right? So at the center position, I'm giving that – center power forward hybrid, I'm giving that to Kevin. If you could target one player – veteran player at the center or power forward position, who should the Pelicans go after? And I think I may know. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going to always say Ed Davis. I think he's just a great player and a great locker room guy. Um, you know, he's not going to be, he's not going to provide that floor stretching that you want long-term next to Zion, but 
I think he'd be a great guy for Jackson Hayes to model himself after if he could become a super athlete version of what Ed Davis is, super efficient around the room, takes the shots he needs to take, sets screens, works really hard defensively, uh, rebounds like a monster. Um, I, I think that's the kind of guy you want. And, you know, reportedly, for, I don't know why this guy has never stuck long-term with a team because every team, once he leaves, is depressed that he left. And, you know, they talk about how great he was and how great he was for that locker room. And I would, I've been dying for him to be part of the New Orleans basketball situation here for a long time. And I would hope that he would be a guy that they would definitely bring in or at least consider bringing in as a, as a veteran. Ali, a center or power forward you like? A center, you said? Center or power forward? Um, for center, I've already mentioned before Kevin Looney, and I think that's even more important now if you really think you can develop Jackson Hayes. Uh, but, you know, Brooke Lopez is my number one. I like Kevin's idea, too. Look down further down the list. So he's already taken Ed Davis, I would say Looney. But for power forward, I, and a lot of people, this name doesn't come to mind as a power forward, but for me, it's Jared Dudley. I want this guy on the Pelicans roster like really one no day, other Mark. veteran. I mean, we've seen what he's been tweeting, you know, left and right about, you know, pro New Orleans, right? Backing everything Griffin's done, Langdon, you name it, and some of these players and what's being said about New Orleans. So I think that's the best thing you can do. I mean, grab this guy who's a great veteran presence. He's a great locker room dude. He can still make down a triple. And, hey, he gave Anthony Davis hell for a couple of years with Washington and such. So I, I like this guy. He's a pesky defender. So I would say chase him because you don't need much, right? You don't need right. a Julius Randle. You don't need any of these top power fours. We know that position is going to be filled by Zion for a really long time. I mean, if you want a combo, you could look at Nico. We've talked about him. But I would love to see somehow Jared Dudley make his way to this uh, roster, onto this Fish. roster. Fish, power forward or center? That intrigues you. Fish. Fish. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to say my Hold on. Sorry, there he I, is. I, I did the common mistake of I muted myself and I continued to talk and had not unmuted myself. The, the target that I would make actually is still under contract, and that would be Derek Favors. Because what I've read is that Utah still wants to make a splash in free agency, and in order to get to make that splash, they're going to have to get off his contract one way or another. It's unguaranteed, so it might be something that they're, that they're considering waiving if they can't trade it. And that Derek Favors, he's on a one-year contract. If you trade for him, uh, Utah might even send you an asset or something for you know for the pleasure of having a good big man on your roster, Derek Favors would be the one that I would target. I really like Derek Favors, can play both positions, can shoot the three. We know he's an outstanding post defender. Everybody, I think, should know my guy by this time. It's been Dwayne Dedman. I've been beating that drum Mm -hmm. for quite some time. I think he fits in well, shoots from the mid-range well, shoots free throws well, shoots three-pointer well, and he's going to be a relatively cheap contract. Um, I think he could be a good mentor because he's a guy who had to develop. He was a guy that the Spurs kind of brought along, thought he was going to stay, and then he went to Atlanta and really took a jump. I really like him. I think he would be a good fit. Small forward, we'll start with Ali. Any small forwards uh, or wing players? Let's just say wing. Uh, shooting guard, small forward, who would you target uh, primarily in free agency? Ooh, this one's tough because, you know, Brandon Ingram's going to fill it. Um, 
behind him. You hope to see Kenrich, Etwan Moore, maybe, you know, somebody else going to get it. I mean, I would love to see a great shooter, right, like Bogdanovich, but I just don't think that's where you want to throw your money and commitment. Um, God, I don't know. Would Rudy Gay maybe be a good target if you want more veteran presence? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, really, nobody out there is, is too entertaining. I mean, you chase that veteran route, like I just mentioned, Gay, maybe Damari Carroll, but otherwise, I, I don't think you really sink anything into that position. I mean, I don't, I don't see it. You know, you don't want to spend on a young guy who's flawed like Kelly Oubre is going to command a lot of money. Harrison Barnes, we've just already said no. I mean, that's ridiculous to even consider giving him the max. So I don't really like the you know, choices. Just grab some vet at a cheap price because the guy's only going to be asked to play a few minutes here and there anyways. Kevin? Oh, he stole my thunder because uh, I was going to say Damari Carroll, and I also liked his Jared Dudley pick. Uh, you know, I want to bring in all those Nets veterans here. Yes. I think <laughs> the culture they develop, developed was great. I think those guys are great. But the thing about Damari Carroll is, you know, he can play some small ball four for you when Zion goes to uh, the five. He, he's a versatile defender, can still shoot the three, can play make a little bit. Um, so he was going to be the guy that I chose. Fish, you with us? James Ennis out of Philadelphia. Um, He's going to be an unrestricted free agent. He's already been in New Orleans a little bit. Um, You're just looking for some depth. Um, James Ennis could be had cheap. You might be able to get him for the minimum or a little bit more than the minimum after you've used most of your cap space um, on the positions of greater need, which to me would be lead ball handler and a big. And so maybe you can use a portion of the room exception to bring in James Ennis for a year or two. My guy? Justin Holiday, length. He can Ooh, shoot the three. That's a good he's one. Drew's brother, and he's not that expensive as well. He's used to coming off the bench, and he can play starter minutes if you need him to. And he defends. So I like I like going after Justin Holiday. That's a good idea. Hey Kevin, I just real quick want to say I'm shocked you didn't mention Glenn Robinson because you've always mentioned that guy too. Yeah, but I just think um, I want more of a veteran presence okay. uh, not than you know. And he's a club option too, so he may not be on the market necessarily. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, lastly, we'll go to point guard. I, I think we all would agree that they need s- some type of veteran presence um, behind Lonzo Ball. Fish, we're going to start with you this time. P- veteran point guards out there that you like. Give me one. I'm going to go back to the well of bringing guys back to New Orleans. Darren Collison's an unrestricted free agent. Um, if you were going to put a bigger than you know normal two-year deal – and the thing with Darren Collison is if the Pelicans are signing him, Darren Collison's the guy that would be a great fit for the Lakers in terms of what they need. And so you're kind of weakening the Lakers while you do it. But Darren Collison would be a great point guard option for New Orleans if he was willing to come back. The only problem with that is the role the Pelicans would be offering is more of a veteran mentor and largely reserved, whereas if he signs with the Lakers, which – that would probably be with their like their room exception. He's almost he, I mean, you can write him in in pen as their starter. Yeah, he made ten million dollars last year and and started for Indiana, so a reserve role may not be something he's interested in. Uh, Kevin, point. Uh, I'd say the dream would be Pat Beverly, but I don't think that's a viable option. So I'll go with another pacer, like Corey Joseph. I think you know he can give you quality depth. Uh, you know, at, at the 
at the one and, you know, for a, a relatively decent price tag. Ollie? I got to go with Alfred Payton. <laughs> I think that he can be had for a good price. He's going to be turning what he's going to be going in his age 25 year. He had those glimpses last year. He knows the system. And more than anything, Lonzo Ball has a propensity to miss a lot of games. And I want somebody who's a legit facilitator that can still keep this offense going, especially hitting Zion, right? Any kind of our athletic bigs running down the lane, wherever they are, hitting guys on the wings. So give me Alfred. And I'm going to go with the guy that I first asked for when the Pelicans drafted Nerlens Noel and traded him for Drew Holiday, Trey mm-hmm. Burke. I would love to see Trey Burke in a Pelicans uniform. I think over the last two years, he's he's come on as a shooter. He's shown he can run an offense a little bit in a, um, as a backup. I wouldn't put him in a starter's role, but he can get very hot from outside. He can score um, and penetrate. I love Trey Burke. Again, he's a, a, a low-risk guy. He was not going to cost you a ton of money. Um, and I think he could be a, a guy who understands coming off the bench. And again, a high-character guy, um, which would is certainly something in line with the Pelicans. Uh, I think that just, just about does it. We've covered a lot tonight, as we usually do. And as usual, it's always a pleasure to talk to Kevin, Fish, and Ollie. So on behalf of them... I'm David Grubb, and until the next time, let's go Pels. Thank you for listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under podcast networks. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. We see the news that teen vaping's on the rise, but teens see something else. Internet videos that talk up fun flavors and downplay the dangers of nicotine. How can parents talk so kids will listen? Use facts. One, nicotine can rewire teens' brains. Two, it can make kids more anxious. Three, changes to the brain can be permanent. So even when it tastes like candy, nicotine is brain poison. Go to flavorshookkids.org for more. I can't believe it. That Gerald is presenting the quarterly budget report with finger puppets? Look, here comes a 1.7% decrease in fixed overhead. Hello, everybody. No, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Who are you? The projected increase in organic Q3 revenue. Hooray! Believe it, Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance.